Long History Conquering Manila Part 3 The Unsatisfactory Founding of the City of Manila Hello, how are you and welcome to Long History. In this document called Conquering Manila, we're looking at the early founding of the Spanish capital on the Philippines. This is the third of five episodes in this particular document, but there is an accompanying document which was released just before this one, and that was called How Manila Became Spanish. The two documents do overlap somewhat, but in the previous episode of this document, Manila was already taken over by the Spanish, which was the end of the previous document. So from here it's all new. Now at the end of the previous episode, a number of reasons were given why the Spanish decided to go to Manila. The island where the Spanish base was up until then was on Panay, but it just didn't seem to be able to support the Spanish settlement. Manila had already been visited and burned to the ground by the Spanish, but this is now some months later when the Spanish, having already conquered the city, now decide to go and colonise it. So here we go with Conquering Manila, Part 3, The Unsatisfactory Founding of the City of Manila. Accompanied by the ships necessary for such an expedition, the governor set sail in the year 1571, on the day after Easter, taking with him the father provincial, Fray Diego de Herrera, the master of camp, and all the other captains, and 230 arquebusiers. It was on the 20th of the month that he set sail, and with fair weather he arrived at the island of Mindoro with his whole fleet of 26 or 27 ships, large and small, including both our own and those of the natives who came with us. He remained on that island 15 or 16 days, and from thence set out for the island of Luzon, where we arrived a week later at the bay which I have before mentioned, and on which Manila is situated. When the natives knew that the governor had come with his entire force to settle upon their lands, and when they saw him entering the bay, they set fire to their village of Manila, which they had rebuilt after its burning a year before by the master of camp. And this time, many of the houses were consumed and many remained standing, while the natives crossed to the opposite shore, to the village of Alcandora. The governor, having arrived at the port of Manila one day in the middle of the month of May, at two o'clock in the afternoon, Alcandora came out in a little boat to welcome him in peace and friendship, and to speak to him on behalf of Raja Soleman and Laya, begging that he would treat them with friendship and pardon them for having taken up arms the past year against the master of camp. He said that on the following day they would come under safe conduct from him to talk with him and make peace. The governor received him very well and told him, through an interpreter, to retire for the night to his house and to come on the next day with the two rachas, saying that he would make peace with the latter and would treat them as sons, for he had no ill feeling toward them but rather regretted that they had resisted the master of camp. Thus, with these assurances, Alcandora took his leave, going to his house greatly pleased. The next day, the governor disembarked in Manila, and the three chiefs came to talk with him and declare themselves his friends. 
It should not be understood in Nueva España or in España that the chiefs in this land are absolute rulers, or that they have great authority or power. Rather, the very opposite is true, for there exist among them the most primitive conditions to be found in any race. It often befalls that in one village, however small it may be, there are five, six or ten chiefs, each of whom possess twenty or thirty slaves, whom he has the power to sell or treat as he pleases. Others there who are called timaguas, that is to say, free men, over whom the chiefs have no power except that the timaguas are under obligation to follow their own chief when war arises between the different factions, and even this is not compulsory and cannot be obtained by force. As I have said, there prevails among them the utmost rudeness and lack of harmony so that if one says basket, the other responds crossbow. He who has the most gold and riches is the greatest chief, and of the highest nobility, and is the most respected, in accordance with the vanity and vainglory of this world. It occurs to me now that this is borne out by the proverb current among the Spaniards, namely, Dost thou wish to know thy value? See what thou hast. These three chiefs, having become our friends, offered to bring all the surrounding country to terms of peace with us, a thing which they did not succeed in accomplishing, for they were not sufficiently powerful, as I have said, each village having its own chiefs. Indeed, there are but very few chiefs who have authority over as many as two or three villages, for the reason which I have given above. The character and customs of these people, and their clothing, ornaments, and mode of government, I shall describe further on, that is to say, of the people of this island of Luzon, and of the other islands round about. As for those farther away in China, we are informed by those who come from there to trade with these islands, that they are a cleanly, well-clothed race, and of higher morals. This is worthy of some belief on account of the Chinese who come to these islands to trade, and whom we see walking about, well and decently clothed. Leaving this subject for its proper time and place, I shall continue to relate the governor's actions after disembarking in Manila on the 16th of May of the year 1571. At the end of a week, he published an edict that in accordance with the commands of his majesty, he would give lands and repartimientos to those who desired to settle in the city of Manila, which he was founding in the name of his majesty. Accordingly, all those who came with him, captains, soldiers and gentlemen, settled as citizens in this city. But up to the present, and it is now about a year since the city was founded, there are very few who have repartimientos, or even homesteads. This is, as I have said, a very unsatisfactory manner in which this city was founded and settled. I shall now return to relate briefly the war with the natives, which the Spaniards have carried on even to the present day. All that I have above related having taken place, it was decided to make peace with the nearest villages, some of whom had come to beg it from the governor, and others would not. Among those who would not come was a village called Butas, situated on an inlet on the other side of the river flowing past Manila, and about a league and a half away. This village, 
uniting with the others nearby, sent word that they did not wish peace or friendship with the governor, and had the boldness to come as far as the village of Alcandora, quite close to Manila, whence they sent defiance to the governor and the captains. Having endured this a number of times, and having made offers of peace, it finally became impossible to endure such insolence, and the governor had to send the master of camp with seventy soldiers and several native leaders by sea to fight with those Indians at their village, where they were waiting with twenty or thirty of their boats, with one or two culverins in each boat. He set out after having heard mass on the day of the Feast of the Holy Ghost, which was the third of the month of June in the year above mentioned. The master of camp, having embarked with the soldiers, arrived at the place where the enemy were assembled at twelve o'clock on that day. When they saw that he was entering the port, they sailed out to attack him with their boats, which were, as I said, twenty or thirty in number, and with a great outcry began to fire their culverins and many arrows. It was God's will that they caused no injury to our forces. Taking note of the order used by the enemy, the command was given for the Spaniards to fasten their boats by twos and to row slowly toward the opposing forces. When they were in close proximity, all the arquebusiers began to shoot and to cause injuries among the enemy, who, not being able to endure the firing which killed many of them, began to turn their backs and retreat to the land. When the Pintados Indians who accompanied the master of camp saw the enemy in retreat, they threw themselves into the water in pursuit and caused great slaughter among them. For they are bitter enemies of the natives of this island of Luzon. And thus they attacked them on land, capturing all their boats and taking two hundred of the natives prisoners. And later they captured two or three hundred more. On the land, there were five or six culverins in a little fort which was captured. In this manner were routed those Indians who had shown so much pride and had so little courage. On the morning of the next day, the master of camp came to the city with all the booty and divided the prisoners as slaves among the soldiers, reserving a fifth for his majesty. A few days having passed in peace and rest, there came certain Indians who told the governor that in the province of Kapanpanga there were many densely populated rivers, and that most of the people thereon did not desire to have friendly relations with the Spaniards. The master of camp had to go, therefore, upon this conquest with one hundred soldiers. When he had entered the said province, some of the natives retired to forts which they had built and tried to resist him. He routed them and took from them some culverins in their possession, and they were left pacified. While he was subjugating this province, there came news that two ships had arrived from Nueva España, sent by the viceroy Don Martín Enríquez, with an enforcement of one hundred soldiers, under the captaincy of Juan López de Aguirre. The governor thereupon ordered the master of camp to go to Panay, to send the said ships to this port of Manila, and to bring back his wife, who was in Cebu. In consideration of this service, the first repartimiento in this island, and a river called Bombon, was allotted to him. At this time of which we have spoken, 
that came down from up the river which flows by Manila, several chiefs of a village named Cainta to proclaim themselves friends of the governor. This said village had about a thousand inhabitants and was surrounded by very tall and very dense bamboo thickets and fortified with a wall and a few small culverins. The same river as that of Manila circles around the village and a branch of it passes through the middle, dividing it in two sections. Now when they had made their declarations of friendship to the Spaniards and saw our situation and condition in Manila, they came to think lightly of us and, after their departure to their village, sent word that they did not care to be friends, but would rather fight with the governor and his men. They said that if the Spaniards would come up the river for this purpose, they would see how the people of Cainta would hurl them from their lands. The governor gave them a month or two to return to their allegiance, and sent certain friendly Indians to treat with them, but no conclusion could be reached until the governor sent his nephew, Juan de Saucedo, with 100 soldiers to conquer them, or rather, to destroy them. During this interim, there arrived the two ships coming from Nueva España, which had been lying in port in the island of Panay. I have already told above how the master of camp had gone to order them to come to this port of Manila. On the 15th of August, the day of the Assumption of Our Lady, they arrived. And, on the same day, Captain Juan de Saucedo embarked in a galley with his hundred soldiers and three pieces of heavy artillery to go to the fort of Cainta. He ascended the river for three days before he reached the fort. After his arrival, the captain, following out the orders of the governor, waited three days longer, summoning them to return to the terms of peace and friendship with the Spaniards, which had been arranged with the governor at Manila. The ill-fated creatures were intractable on account of the confidence which they had in their miserable fort, and for response told the captain that they desired to fight. So the Spanish have entered Manila, and having burnt the plate to the ground some months earlier, and then setting fire to it again here, the leaders of the area, Raja Soleiman and Laya, seem at least willing to acquiesce to the Spanish. Throughout the rest of this episode, it seems that the Spanish are slowly, bit by bit, picking off the various villages who want to fight against them. And as this episode ends, there is a standoff between this one particular village of Cainta, and that fight will be resolved in the next episode. So thank you for listening everyone. Please, in any way possible, give this episode a like if you can. Don't forget to follow and subscribe also to hear more about long history. If you want to take a look at past episodes, they are all now listed on our website longhistory.net. That's longhistory, all one word, .net. Feel free to explore. Thank you everyone for listening to the latest episode of Long History. This was Conquering Manila, Part 3, the unsatisfactory founding of the city of Manila. Goodbye.